Welcome in, everybody. Episode 47 of Force for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. It is a Wednesday night. We are recording February the 10th, week after the Super Bowl. The NFL season has concluded, and in what other fashion would you expect? Tom Brady is a Super Bowl champion yet again. It is just unbelievable how this guy just continues to win on the big stage at 43 years old. Can't even fathom it, but it happens, and we'll break down everything you need to know about that game. Uh, as we are recording, the Rangers are playing a big game against the Boston Bruins. They got out of their rut a little bit, the Rangers. They won two games in a row and then uh, played a real competitive game against the Islanders the other night, but ended up falling short, losing 2 nothing. two late goals in the third period scored by the Islanders. So uh, the Rangers are still very much in the mix despite their inconsistent and sluggish start, um, but they don't want to continue to dig themselves a hole. So this is a big game against the Bruins for them to win tonight. Uh, and also a couple of MLB moves, uh, under the radar moves that were made uh, throughout the week since Rob and I were last on the air. Uh, so we'll break those down too. But we'll start with the Super Bowl, obviously. And I tell you, the Super Bowl, Rob, for us, we started this podcast over a year ago. So uh, we did get the opportunity to break down Super Bowl 54 last year on one of our first episodes. And there was just chock full of information to dissect after that Super Bowl. San Francisco had an early lead. Kansas City was able to come back. There were a couple big turnovers in the game. Damian Williams would have touched down at the end of the game to put it away. There was a lot of stuff to dissect in this game. There really isn't a ton of stuff to break down. Uh, the story of the game was just Tampa Bay's defense led by defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles came up with a picture perfect game plan and has become the first team that I've ever seen in my lifetime. That's been able to stop Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas city high powered offense from beginning to end. The chiefs did not score a touchdown. 31 to nine was the final score. Mahomes looked out of sorts all night long. He was running for his life every time he got a snap and his legs, which are an asset, uh, were not really too much of an asset because he's been hobbled by that toe injury. So I saw an ESPN next gen stat that they calculated the amount of yards that Patrick Mahomes had run behind the line of scrimmage. It was something like 497 yards that he had yeah, run. Yeah, they were saying something about almost being five football fields, which is. It, it's absurd. I, I, obviously, his toe hurt, but, I, you know, he withstood the pain and, and discomfort. You yeah. Know? I mean, so the, the you big... said it best. There's nothing to dissect in this game. What is there to dissect? No, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> had a great defensive game plan. We, we spoke about it last episode when we were previewing the big game. We did say that Todd Bowles is a blitz-happy defensive coordinator, but in order to have success against the Chiefs, you cannot blitz as much as they are accustomed to blitzing. That opens up opportunities to stretch the ball down the field. But their front four of Tampa Bay, Dominic Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, they did a tremendous job of getting pressure all night long. And one of the hugest holes on Kansas City was the loss of Eric Fisher. They had to shift three offensive linemen around to alleviate that loss. Uh, Mike Remmers was just – he just had an awful game all night long. And if you remember correctly, Mike Remmers was the offensive tackle who played for the Panthers in the Super Bowl when they faced off against the Broncos, mm -hmm. and he was tasked with stopping Von Miller. And what happened in that game? Uh, I don't know. Von Miller won Super Bowl MVP. So yeah. uh, Mike Remmers just had a tough go of it all night long. But really, just an incredible defensive performance. And Tom Brady was good. Don't get me wrong. He played mistake-free football. He was able to matriculate the ball down the field. He dissected Kansas City's defense in the first half, so he obviously deserves some credit too. But, I mean, if you if you told me before that game started that the Chiefs were not going to be able to score an offensive touchdown and it was going to be a bloodbath, 
I, I would have told you to check into an insane asylum, but that's the way the game unfolded, and the Buccaneers are your Super Bowl 55 champs. Yeah, I mean, listen, Brady was efficient, 21 of 29, 201 yards, three passing touchdowns, but more than anything, it's not even about the stats. It's just about Tom Brady's aura. You know, just the aura around him. You know, the guys around him, the confidence and, and the mastery that he can read defenses, and he's basically another coach. Uh, you know, on the field, off the field. It's just amazing what this guy does, especially at his age of 43. And listen, he proved me wrong at the beginning of the year. I, I thought they'd be a 500 team. I thought maybe just, it just wouldn't pan out. And, uh, you know, even in this game, although I, I didn't think they'd lose this game because of Brady, but just, you know, you, you can't discount the guy. It's, it's just amazing what he's done. Um, it really, really is. And I thought this game was going to go over. I thought this game, Kansas City is going to win by double digits. I thought this game would be up and down type football on both sides. I thought this game would be two coaches going at it with gadget plays and everything else. Instead, you got one stinker of a Super Bowl. It wasn't even exciting at any point, to be honest with you. It really wasn't. And Tampa's defense manhandled the Chiefs. I mean, manhandled. They out physical them. It was. You know, it was pretty much like what I seen with my Giants when when they played the Patriots in those two Super Bowls. You know, the team that was more physical won. And look, they were just more physical. Uh, they were dominant. They were dominant. Mahomes was running for his life a lot of the times. And, you know, he tried to make some plays, Mahomes, man. He made – he got out of a couple of scrambles, a couple of, you know, pressures that – he made some throws where he was contorted his body where you thought, you thought he wasn't going to get up. And he made some throws. And – I tell you the truth, you've seen the Chiefs, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, they were dropping balls. Yeah. They had terrible games, too. And one thing was very telling. First of all, they got completely outcoached. I mean, completely up and down, up and down. This was Andy Reid, you know, you know, circa Super Bowl win. You know, this was the Andy Reid we knew from back in the Philadelphia Eagles days and part of his Chiefs days, you know, up until he won the Super Bowl. And one thing that was telling was what Tyreek Hill said, which I was stunned when he said it. He goes, we weren't expecting him to be in this, in, 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 uh, you know, cover two, cover four. We weren't expecting him to be in his zone. We were expecting him to be in a man again, like we played him the first time. Well, why the hell would you expect that? When Mahomes threw for 460 yards and you yourself went for 220 in the first half and two, 270 total. Why would you expect that? And if the coaching staff was expecting that, you're talking about a, an egregious error here. I mean, and it seemed like, it, yeah, it seemed like Tyreek Hill, he was right. He was right. It seemed like the coaching staff wasn't expecting this. There wasn't an, any adjustments that were being made by Kansas City. Yeah, of course, the Eric Fisher uh, injury it, it didn't help. I thought maybe after a couple of weeks, they kind of would settle in a little bit. But I'll tell you what. You know, they came out, Andrew, they came out, they were down 21-6 at the end of the half. They come out in the third quarter, they get the ball Kansas City, and they ran the ball a couple of times pretty pretty good with Clyde Wadzaleo, who got like two, uh, 30 yards on two rushes, and they stopped running the ball. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's the best way to slow down a pass rush? Here's the best way. You run the ball and maybe throw screen passes. And they were running the ball pretty decently, and they never stuck with the run. Never stuck with the run. No, so, and Daryl Williams, who's been the bell cow, and I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been banged up. 
Uh, he missed the last healthy. couple weeks of the regular season. He looked healthy. He looked good, and and Darrell Williams was was not a factor. I would have thought for sure that they would have tried to mix it up a little bit in the backfield, especially considering that the pass rush was so good. I know you can't you can't just completely run the ball on every single down because the bread and butter offensively of the Chiefs is the passing game. But if you don't want to run it continuously with Edwards Alaire, at least give a couple different looks. At least get Cole Hardman involved and Tyreek Hill involved. They gave Tyreek Hill a, a sweep option on one of the first drives of the game, and he never touched the ball again in the running game. No, so they didn't even give any different that, looks. Never touched it, yeah. And one thing I do want to say, too, is, and this is a narrative that's going around, and obviously you knew it was going to happen if Kansas City lost that game, but let's not let's not get too far into uh, what occurred with Andy Reid's son uh, during the week having an nah, impact on nah, this game. You can't. You because can't. Andy Reid came out after the game, and he made it known that, listen, uh, – I. I'm human, so obviously it was something that's been on my mind and my heart is out for that family. He said, but as far as the game plan that we put in place for this game, it was implemented a week and a half before it happened. So it was just poorly executed. So, you know, that's just, let's just dispel that. They were outcoached by Bruce Arians and company. Tampa Bay did a great job from beginning to end and the Chiefs looked all out of sorts, couldn't ever get any adjustments. And you know, what's the funny part is, and, and JJ brought this up when we were speaking with him last week, he said, one of the big money makers for people throughout the postseason over the past two years has been watching the Chiefs start out a little bit slow and taking them live on the money line. I tell you what, it crossed my mind for a minute, but at no point did I think Kansas City was going to win that game. So no, I stayed away. I tell you, right at the end of the first quarter, I, mid-second quarter, I said, this game's over. Yeah. This game's over. You could just and, see it. And there was no, no rhythm. You didn't even think they could get into a rhythm, Kansas City. They were just so disjointed. And, you know, you got to give Leonard Fournette a lot of credit, man. Played a tremendous, tremendous game. Had a tremendous postseason. Yep. He had 135 total yards. He had 89 rushing, 46 uh, um, receiving with four receptions. He had a touchdown. Guy was tremendous. And he's going to get paid. Somebody's going to take him. Yeah, he averaged six him. yards a pop again. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's going to take him and pay him. I mean, Listen, I've always liked Fournette from his days in Jacksonville. You know, there were some issues there, maybe some discipline issues, whatever it may be. But Fournette, listen, he might even come back with Tampa. They might bring him back, I'll be honest with you, because if I were them, I'd bring him back because it's the perfect two-headed monster with him and Jones. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I mean, they had 150 yards combined rushing those two guys. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if they brought back Antonio Brown too, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, they might. I mean, listen, I I think – I don't know if they're going to bring back Brown only because they got the uh, that that kid Keyshawn. Wait, is another name Keyshawn Johnson? Well, that Keyshawn kid? Vaughn is the running Keyshawn, back. They got Tyler Johnson, no, no, not the wide Keyshawn receiver. Vaughn. No, Tyler Johnson. That uh, oh, Tyler that's it. Yeah. Keyshawn. There's another Keyshawn Johnson somewhere around the league. I don't know if he was on one of those. Forget which team. But anyway, yeah. And, and Brady supposedly loves that kid. So you know. But the only thing is, if they bring back Brown. I don't know if they're going to bring back Godwin because Godwin is an unrestricted free agent, but. That's for another day. But look, again, like you said, there's not much to dissect. Gronkowski was terrific. They finally unleashed him here in a play in a playoff game in the Super Bowl because prior to that, they really were just keeping him in the block because he's such a tremendous blocker yeah. that they didn't want to lose out on that. And their offensive line was, I tell you what, they they were great. They were great this entire postseason, especially the Super Bowl. Brady was never really under duress. I think he got sacked once. So, you know, throughout this whole postseason, Brady stood upright the whole time. He really, really did. Yep. So credit to their offensive line, too. That's a good, that's a good talented team, man. If they come back intact, boy, oh boy, 
And listen, you're hearing all these players on the team that are talking and they all and obviously actions speak louder than words. And we'll find out as this offseason progressive progresses, what's going to end up happening. But from everything you hear and from everything the players say, they want the band to stick together and they want to come back yeah, with the well, same squad next year. You don't know if it's going to happen. Easier said than done. I, obviously, it's easier said than done. But, you know, judging by the performance that they put forth this year. You, you can't count them out next year if the same team comes back. You certainly can't. No, you can't. can't. The only problem is, though, Andrew, you know, the salary cap is going to be lowered. What was expected to be $215 million, maybe even up to – maybe down to $190 million, now is projected to be $180 million. So, you know, that's going to be a big difference in whether or not you bring back guys like Fournette and Godwin. I mean, you know, you're going to pay Godwin $20 million a year, you know, or whatever he's going to – that's probably going to be the going rate for a receiver of his caliber. You know, are, are you are you going to pay Leonard Fournette what he's probably going to, you know, uh, ask for? It's going to be very, very difficult to keep that whole team intact. So, look, I mean, their defense was terrific. And Shaq Barrett's another guy. You know, you're going to have to pay him. Yep. You know, maybe, maybe you franchise Shaq Barrett, but you franchise him. You know, that's probably about a $16, 17000000 million hit for the year. You know, so you'd rather you'd rather sign him long term. This way, at least you could spread that that signing bonus out and, and, uh, and help you against the cap. But, you know, they're not going to bring back this entire team and some of their key guys definitely will, will probably walk, you know, they're, they're, you know, by, and they're going to have to, like I said, the salary cap being 180 million is a big problem. So, but look, you know, Kansas city will probably come back intact. Rangers just scored. Yep. Julian Gauthier. One Julian Gauthier. Good. I'm glad he got that. So maybe, Maybe Quinn will play him a little bit, play him a little bit more instead of stapling his ass to the bench. Nah, he'll be a healthy scratch tomorrow. Night. I know. <laughs> but, um, oh, we'll get him to the Rangers later. But yeah, so you know, Kansas City will probably come back and tackle with most of their guys. I mean, why not? Mahomes is, you know, he's signed. Edwards Alaza, you know, on his rookie contract. Kelsey signed. Tyreek Hill is signed. So they really don't have any guys missing. You know, so they'll probably just have to solidify their offensive line a little bit. And certainly their defense will have to solidify as well, as you could see. So, but, you know, Kansas City will be back in the running again. And really, that's about it as far as dissecting his Super Bowl, Andrew, because there's really not much else to talk about. No, I mean, it really, every, really every, isn't. Everything that needed to be said was said. And I, I, yeah. and I don't think that we were splitting the atom with anything that we said. I think it was abundantly clear to everyone who watched the game what exactly yeah. unfolded, you know? It was one of the lowest uh, viewed Super Bowls, too, I think, since 2003, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, look, that is what it is. You know, there's a lot of good different reasons for that. You don't have to dissect. We don't have to go into that. But, um, look, it's over. And, listen, God bless the NFL. Got everything in. You know, they got through it, through some tough times. They got through it. Thank we God. Had a, we had and, a couple of Wednesday night football yeah. games and Tuesday night football games. But we got from point A to point B. Yeah, and we got it. So now we could probably go into our quarterback carousel. Yes. And you're starting to hear some whispers about one Russell Wilson. And I'll tell you what, Andrew, he threw his teammates under the bus yesterday. Yep. If you heard what he said about getting sacked and about the offensive line and it's hard to succeed and, you know, to, to have success when you're getting sacked. I think he got sacked almost 395 times over the last few years and, you know, so he kind of threw his teammates under the bus. And I've always felt, Andrew, and I don't know if you felt this way. I've always felt like there's a disconnect and a disjoint between him and his teammates. Yes. Yes. You know, and you, and, it's, and you've been, it's been noted in, before. Yep. You've heard that in the past that he doesn't hang out with any of his teammates. He got he has this pristine sort of image 
It's got Sierra, the wife, you know, it's almost like he's the kiss ass, you know, the whole thing. And it, and it's, you know, all about him to a certain degree, but he doesn't want to make it look about him, but it really is all about him. And you could kind of just see it on the sidelines that, you know, when he goes over to players and kind of, you know, gives him a little, it's, 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 there's something missing there. There really, really is. Well, so it's going to be interesting because he's also talking about wanting a contract and wanting to be paid more. And I'll tell you where there's smoke, there's fire. And you're starting to hear whispers about Seattle gauging interest in Russell Wilson now here. And you, you got to figure with the salary cap again, going down, do you want to pay a 33 year old quarterback and extend them to 40 plus million dollars a year? Uh, do you want to do that? Tough call, but I'm sure they'll be feeling some offers here. Absolutely. And I know I spoke to you off the air yesterday and, I said, listen, obviously with the salary cap ramifications, that's that's another good point with the salary cap going down. It becomes increasingly tougher to field a competitive roster while paying a quarterback 40 plus million dollars. But you also have to remember, too, this is going to be a quarterback carousel this offseason. Deshaun Watson has been the burning name on everybody's mind since before the offseason even started. As the as the regular season came to a close, his name came up in trade rumors. You already had the Matthew Stafford trade to the Los Angeles Rams and Jared Goff goes to the Lions. With as many quarterbacks moving around and switching teams this offseason as you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of teams that have franchise quarterbacks but don't necessarily have a complete roster you're going to see them gauge the market and see how much interest is out there for their quarterbacks, especially when you see the haul that the Lions were able to get for a guy like Matthew Stafford. When you see the trade package that a team like the Texans is going to get if they end up dealing Deshaun Watson. I mean, heck, we're even hearing now that the Jets might be able to get a first round pick out of Sam Darnold. So a lot of these teams that have franchise quarterbacks but don't have a complete roster, which I think the Seahawks do, and I've said that before, I think they have a pretty pedestrian roster with an otherworldly type of quarterback, I could see them gauging the market regardless of what happened the other day with Russell Wilson making those comments. So like you said, where there's smoke, there's fire, and this will probably just add a little bit of steam to whatever's going on. Now, will he ultimately stay a Seahawk? I would probably bet on the fact that he does, but I think the Seahawks would be dumb not to at least field calls and see what they can get because at the end of the day, for someone like Russell Wilson, who is a perennial winner, even with the with the lackluster pieces he's had around him at times, there's going to be some teams that have a ton of interest in him. I mean, look, if the, if the Jets come knocking on your door, if the, if the whole Deshaun Watson thing falls apart and the Jets come knocking on your door and they offer you three first-round picks for Russell Wilson, which I'm sure would probably have to take, you know, you're the Seahawks. You certainly have to think about that real hard. Yeah, especially considering to. that they just gave up two first-round picks for Jamal yeah. Adams a year ago. Yeah. So they don't and have a lot teams of draft that need capital. Quarterbacks, man. You know, you there's not. I mean, look, you have the Bills and the Dolphins. They're pretty much set at quarterback, and unless the Dolphins trade for Watson, they're going to be trading Tua and getting Watson back. So Patriots need a quarterback. The Jets need a quarterback. All right, the Steelers are going to need a quarterback, but the Ravens, right, Lamar Jackson. Let me ask you a question: If the Texans come to you, and you're the Ravens, and they say, listen, we'll offer you Deshaun Watson, but we want Lamar Jackson and your next two first-round picks this year and next year. I think that's a no-brainer. You say yes, if you're the Ravens. Or 100%. you're starting to hear that um, – oh, my God, I can't believe I just lost his name now. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
the left tackle on the Ravens. He just moved to left tackle. Oh, Orlando Brown. You Orlando, there Orlando, Orlando Brown. Yep. What if they What if they offer you two first? Lamar. What if they say we want two first round picks, Lamar Jackson and Orlando Brown, because Orlando Brown wants out. He wants to go back to left. He wants to be a left tackle. Yep. And the <clears> Ravens <throat> have already made it known that they are not going to deal Orlando Brown unless they get a haul. I think getting Deshaun Watson in a trade would definitely classify as getting a haul. <laughs> I mean, think about that sort of a deal. Wow. I wouldn't want Deshaun Watson in my division. That's for shit sure. But wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, so then, then you look, all right. So then you got to, you know, right. The Browns have Mayfield. The Bengals have Burrow. Tannehill with the Titans. Colts need a quarterback. Texans will probably need a quarterback. The Jaguars will be getting Lawrence. The Chiefs know. The Raiders are probably needing quarterback. What is, what is uh, Derek Cargo? Where's he go? You know what? Does he stay? Here's what I'll say about Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr will be the quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders in 2021. However, I will say this, and you've noted before that Derek Carr is not, or John Gruden is not enamored with Derek Carr. We've spoken about that before. And I will say this. I think the Raiders have a pretty good roster. They need to upgrade their defense. Their defense was their Achilles heel. And I think they made a good choice hiring Gus Bradley to hopefully turn that defense around a little bit. But I'll tell you right now, if a guy like Zach Wilson from BYU or Trey Lance is sitting there middle of the first round and Oakland is enamored with them, they yeah. will take them. They will take they will, them. But there's no way they would fall. I don't think they'd fall. Wilson will probably go top five. I would have to think, you know, I, and I don't think, you know, I, I, you look at Atlanta, probably be looking for a quarterback, you know, so I would have to think those three quarterbacks. If anybody falls, it would be Lance. Well, yeah, obviously, and there's a, there's extenuating circumstances for that. He obviously didn't play a season this year. He had one scrimmage game. Our good friend yeah. Tommy Lochran, who we're going to have on soon to talk about the NFL draft, um, he watched that scrimmage game, said he wasn't really too impressed with Trey Lance, but you can't really take though, a, a, but, a ton of stock in that. But you know, He hasn't played against competition. He hasn't played a lot of games. I think he's only played 19 games in his, in his college career. So he'd be the type of guy that would fall to them. Now, whether or not you're going to take him at your first-round pick, you know, it depends. But, you know, then you look at, obviously, the Chargers don't need a quarterback. The Broncos need a quarterback, probably. Yeah. I don't think they're so enamored with with uh, with Drew Locke. Washington needs a quarterback. Giants right now, they're sticking with Daniel Jones. The Cowboys, what happens with Dak Prescott? What happens with Dak Prescott? I, now, I can't see them franchise tagging him again. I think you either lock him up long-term or you don't. Them, it's going to cost them anywhere from – 37 to 40 million dollars this year to get him into the cap. Now, I don't think Dallas will be able to do it. So no. obviously you're gonna have to sign him. And I'm sure Dallas would like to sign him, but does Dallas field offers on Dak Prescott? We've talked about this before. Why not? If you don't want to sign and commit to the guy, and there was there was a hype video that Dallas put out yesterday that had some. A couple of the newer players, some of the some of the players on the roster now, I think it was Ezekiel Elliott, and you know, I think then they had Troy Aikman, uh, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, and did not have Dak Prescott in it. Now this was a hype video to basically say, "Hey, we're ready for the 2021 season. We're getting ready. We're getting started now." And Dak Prescott, although he was injured, but still, was not part of that video. I'm telling you, I don't. I, I I think Dallas is in a tough spot with him, and as much as they'd like to have him, they don't want to pay him. 
No, I, th- I, it's, I think it's either you extend him or, or that's it. He's gone. He goes somewhere else. That's you can't franchise you tag can't him again. Franchise I mean, him again. I mean, listen, he's been on the team for the whole reason you were franchise tagging him. It wasn't necessarily just due to the fact that they couldn't come up with the right numbers and years on a, on a contract. But I think also Dallas was sort of buying time to see what they had in Prescott because they weren't sure. Now, how many times are you going to franchise the guy until you're sure of whether or not you want to pay him? I think okay. t- right now is a decision. It's decision time. It needs to be made now. So what kind of a hold does he get if Dallas puts him on the market? Let's say they go to the Jets. Well, he's a free agent, isn't he? Well, they could franchise him and then trade him. I believe right, but they is, could is franchise any, him and trade him. Is any team going to take him when he's only on the contract for well, one they, year they'll, at they'll $37 probably, million? Well, that, listen, Dallas ain't going to be stupid. They're not just going to let him walk. You know what I mean? They could franchise him and trade him. I just don't know how many suitors would be out there to trade for a guy that's on the franchise tag. Well, I think you could franchise him. I, you know, I don't know what the hell, what the whole thing is if you, you know, as far as signing him. But listen, the Jets are under the cap. They're way under the cap. So they could fit Prescott under the cap for this one year and then sign him to an extension after that. See, well, how does this work, though? Like, at that point, right, they're going to franchise tag him and then try to trade him if this, right. in this hypothetical situation. Now, you also have to remember that a team cannot have two franchise-tagged players. So at that point, there are some teams out there that would have already franchise-tagged somebody that right. could not get Dak Prescott. But 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 who else would be able to fit Prescott under the cap and also have the draft capital to give to Dallas would be the Jets. That's the, the only team that would make sense would be the Jets, and that's because they have the cap space and they have the draft capital. So let's let's play the hypothetical scenario. And let's say that they franchise him and now look to trade him to the Jets. What kind of a hold do they get for Prescott? You know they're going to get the number two overall. He's not going to bring back as much as Watson, but look, Prescott has been a pretty good quarterback. And you want to talk about, you know, you you you, you could talk about Prescott not winning playoff games, but we could also talk about Watson not winning playoff games too. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't led his team anywhere. Well, right? Dallas has so, been a Dallas has been a perennial contender. Houston, I yeah, think Watson only has one play or point. two playoff games. Okay, you know? good point. A good point. But you know, Prescott still is a young player in this league as well. The type of guy you're going to have for ten years. Well, what makes this situation so inter- interesting is that we have no idea what the conversations are behind closed doors with the Jets. Of Maybe they are enamored with Justin Fields at number two. You know, we we don't know. This is all this is all just skepticism, which is which is what makes this offseason so interesting because nobody knows a damn thing. So it's just pure speculation until we get definitive information. Well, what, what makes it interesting too is the Texans being adamant about saying they're not going to trade him, and if they if they happen to want to trade him, would be after the draft would be that would be bullshit. Because you want the draft capital this year as much as next year. You want it this year. Because if you're going to trade Deshaun Watson, you're not going to want Sam Donald back, especially if you're going to trade him to the Jets. So you want that number two pick overall. You want your choice of Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. I don't think it would be Trey Lance. So you would have to trade it before the draft. And for the Jets, if the Texans hold out and say, well, we're not going to trade them until after the draft, if I'm the Jets, I move on. I say, okay, have a nice day. You know, on the Jets, I move on. That's it. I move on. Because then you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to take that quarterback at two or you're going to stick with Sam Donald. Now, obviously, again, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, and I don't know how you feel about this, but 
I have heard people bring up the possibility that maybe Robert Salah tries to get Jimmy Garoppolo in New York. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think Garoppolo is any better than Donald, to be honest with you. I, I don't even see that being a factor. I wouldn't even – I put no stock into that. I really wouldn't. Because Garoppolo, to me, is no better – all Garoppolo is – it. Sam Donald would be Garoppolo on San Francisco with talent. He'd yeah, be Garoppolo. I, I, I can agree with that, yep. He'd be Garoppolo. That's it. That's it. So, you know, you bring Garoppolo in over Sam Donald, you're not improving yourself as far as I'm concerned. And you know, Garoppolo is not. making a ton of money too. Yeah, you're not. I think they're going to well, – we'll get into that. But let, all right, so let's go to the Eagles. Obviously, Wentz is going to be dealt. You know, as as of yesterday, they, they, they thought he was going to be traded as of yesterday. So you're looking at the Colts, which makes sense because the Colts with Frank Reich as coach – Wentz had his best season with Frank White's as uh, Frank Reich as the uh, offensive coordinator there uh, when he was in Philadelphia, Frank Reich. So it makes sense that the Colts would probably go after Carson Wentz with Frank Reich being the head coach there now. So um, it, it would make sense. The Bears make sense because they need a quarterback. So, you know, I guess whoever puts together the best package for Philadelphia – He's going to be dealt, but I don't think Philadelphia is going to get a lot for Wentz. I, I don't know. You know, it's that's going to be interesting. I'm sure it'll take a first-round pick, but I don't know if it's going to take anything more than that than maybe a second-day pick after that. You know, whether it be a fourth-rounder or something, maybe, you know. I mean, how much could you give up? Well, that's the thing you got to remember, too, is like a lot of these quarterbacks, right, guys like Matthew Stafford, guys like Matt Ryan, who we think the Falcons might be looking to move on from. These are guys who have been in the league and they've done it for a long time, and the teams are just trying to prepare for the future and move in a different direction. Wentz has not been doing this for a long time. Like any team that's out there that's looking to trade for him, like are you sure that Carson Wentz is a franchise quarterback? And I think that that's a, it's a fascinating question because I don't know. We've seen – MVP caliber football out of Carson Wentz. We've seen football where he doesn't look like a capable starter in the NFL. So the contrast between those two things, it's complete opposite ends of the spectrum. That is too inconsistent for me to be giving up first day draft picks for. So I really, I agree with you. I don't think the hall is going to be a lot for guys. Yeah, like I don't this. think it'll be a lot, but you know, I, I, I listen, franchise quarterback. I don't know about franchise quarterback, but could he be a good quarterback? Yes. He's proven he played at an MVP level. Now, look, last year, people were praising Carson Wentz the last eight games of the year. He had nothing on offense, absolutely zero. He was playing with journeyman wide receiver the entire time. The entire time. Now, look, maybe he lost some confidence this year. That could happen. I can't see how a guy could be playing MVP-type football and, and played the way he played. And then last year, in the last eight weeks, he played well considering what he had around him. And he had absolutely nothing around him. It's the same thing like Daniel Jones right now. Everybody's saying, get him some weapons, get him some weapons. Well, maybe if Carson Wentz had some weapons, you know, he, he lost Goddard. He lost Ertz. He had no Alshon Jeffrey. He had no Deshaun Jackson. He had nothing. Jalen Riga stunk. You know, he had really nothing. So it'll be interesting to see Carson Wentz, if he goes to the Colts, to me, that's the best scenario for the Colts and for Carson Wentz. They have a terrific offensive line. They have some good young weapons. They have a good young run. They have a good young running back in Jonathan Taylor. They have a solid defense. If he can't succeed there, then I could say, all right, Carson Wentz is a complete bust. But he goes to the Colts. Something tells me I think he'll be pretty good there. 
Now, a franchise quarterback, that's a lot to say. You know, uh, look, but it, could it be a very good quarterback? Yeah, why not? Look at the look at the career. Look at the season that Philip Rivers had coming off his last couple of years in San Diego or L.A., whatever, you know. So, you know what I mean? And he had a very good year, Philip Rivers, for them. So, you know, when you're surrounded with talent and a good running game and a really good offensive line, things change. And he had none of that in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz. You know, everybody's quick just to dismiss a young quarterback that's had success. Now, it's not like he started his career like the way he played this year. If he did, then that's a different scenario. But this guy's shown that he can win, and he's shown that he can play high-level, elite-type football. You know, so let's see what happens. Put him on a good team like the Colts. I think he'll succeed there. I, yeah, I really do. I think the Colts would be a good fit. I don't think the Bears would be a good fit. I know that I don't they think have the a, Bears would be a good fit with that coach there. No. Well, that's that's the problem. It's poor that's coaching. And they do have a talented roster. They have a talented defense. They have a good young running back in David Montgomery. And they have a couple yeah, of young wide Alan receivers. Robinson probably, unless they franchise him. Yeah, I mean, they do have a know. couple of good young receivers. I do really like Darnell Mooney. But you got to remember, too. That offensive line is in shambles in yep. Chicago. That's a bad. That's a bad spot for him to go to. It is. If, if I'm Carson Wentz, I'm looking to get to the Colts in any way, shape, or form. But so you know, you move on. Obviously, the Packers have. Wait, Rogers. before before you move on, Wentz doesn't have a no trade clause, does he? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. I mean, we could check spot track on that, but I don't think it matters. You know. I don't, I don't think it matters. Well, it would add to his Wentz, power because if Carson, let's say Carson sure. Wentz really wanted to reunite with Frank Wright, he can orchestrate basically, hey, you're giving me to the Colts or I'm not going anywhere. And then you're Let stuck with check, my contract uh, and I have to play basically. Let's see, Carson Wentz. I'm sure, no, you know what? A lot of these guys have, let's see, Carson Wentz, no trade clause. Uh, well, listen, here's the problem with that though. You know, it, in a, in a trade, I think his dead cap hit for them is, uh, I believe it's, uh, it was cap hit in a trade, I think is around almost $34 million. Yeah. Yep. So uh, let's see. Doesn't say anything here that he has a no trade clause. Uh, let's see. He's got a fully guaranteed salary in 2022. Uh, bu- 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 yeah, it doesn't say anything about a, a no trade clause here that I'm looking at on spot track. And they're usually on the money with everything. So I usually go by that. Yeah, I'm looking so, too. It doesn't look like he does have a no trade clause. So. No, which is fine. Okay. So, hey, look, I, I think Carson Wentz is probably looking just to get the hell out of Philadelphia. And again, whether he goes to the Colts or the Bears, look, I, I look, if I'm the Colts, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do what I got to do to bring Carson Wentz in and be honest with you. That's my opinion. I really do. Especially that Frank Reich is there. He had success with him. You know, that team is built, you know, it, it's built uh, to for Carson Wentz to succeed. So, you know, you got Michael Pittman, you know, you, you got a good tight end in Jack Doyle. You got Jonathan Taylor. You know, so you, you have Paris Campbell there. So you have some good receivers and a young receiver in Pittman that looks like he's going to be very, very good. Maybe they bring back T.Y. Hilton, who's an unrestricted free agent. Again, the offensive line is is one of the top five. Their defense is a top 10 defense. So, you know, again, it's a spot where he can succeed. So you think New England uh, could be a suitor? Oh, boy. Hmm. 
Because you know what? You know, you know what the weird part about this is, is that we Let's keep not forget New England has 15 guys coming back that opted out. Right. And we keep kind of we keep acknowledging that New England needs a quarterback, but we're kind yeah. of just keep glancing over New England because we don't exactly, you know, because Bill Belichick is a little unpredictable. We don't know what the position they're going to go in. But I would imagine that the that the Patriots are going to be inquiring on all these guys. I, would I mean, have I to think they are. I, I would have to think, you know, if I'm New England. Yeah. I mean, Carson Wentz is better than Cam Newton. He's better than Jared Stidham. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. You know, so he's better than those guys. So, yeah, New England, yeah, they're going to be looking for a quarterback, too, obviously. I mean, look, why wouldn't they? I mean, they need one. I don't know what he's going to do over there, Belichick, but well, the thing that's interesting, quarterback. The thing that's interesting with New England is that they had an off year, so they do have a high pick in the first round, which is very unlike well, the Belichick-run Patriots. Right. 14th, I, I believe. 15? 14, 14, 15, around there, yeah. Yeah, 14 or 15, so – I mean, you know, people have them projected to take Mac Jones from Alabama, but, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know about that. But, you know, you go on and, then you know, you're hearing rumors of of of, uh, of Shanahan wanted to bring Kirk Cousins in to San Francisco, trying to get him away from Minnesota. Obviously, Shanahan had him when he was, uh, when he was a coordinator at Washington with Kirk Cousins, who had a couple of his better years at Washington. But not that Kirk Cousins is a winner. So that's an odd thing. But you hear those whispers. The Lions already have Jared Goff. So, you know, they'll go with him right now. You know, the Saints here, you know, do they bring in Jameis Winston? Do they bring him back? Got another guy, unrestricted free agent. I, I would say that there, any possibility is open for New Orleans except for Taysom Hill being the quarterback. He's not a quarterback. No, he's not a quarterback. I've been saying that for a year, two years. He's not a quarterback. He's perfect in the in, in the in the type of role that they play him. He's perfect that Swiss Army knife, but he's not a quarterback. So do they bring in Jameis Winston? I, my bet is they do bring in Jameis Winston. I think Winston stays there. I really, really do. So um, and it, I would I would assume if they did bring him back, it would be another one year deal. They wouldn't lock well, him up. I don't believe. I mean, if he's going to be the starting quarterback, they probably have to give him a little something more than just one year. Could be a prove it, maybe a two year deal, but. Look, I, I think they're going to bring them back. Obviously, the Buccaneers have Brady. Now, you, you look at the Carolina Panthers, who thought they had a deal for Matthew Stafford in the works, and it didn't it didn't pan out. Now, look, they got Teddy Bridgewater there, who's a good guy. He's a good leader, good locker room guy. He's, he's not that sort of quarterback that everybody expected him to be, you know, uh, after that injury. It's it just not. Uh, he's a game manager at best. You know, he's not the type of guy that's going to be able to push the ball up the field at all, so – you know, Bridgewater at this point right now is maybe, like I said, he's the Jacoby Brissett type quarterback. That's probably what he's at right now. And probably not good enough for, for you know, for Matt Rule right now to, to run his offense the way he wants to. So, you know, that could be another landing spot for Carson Wentz. That's not a bad spot. McCaffrey, DJ Moore, good offensive line, good, good coach with a, you know, that, that, that leans towards his offense. You know, that's not a bad spot for Carson Wentz because they did say it was the Colts, the Bears, and a mystery team. Now, look, if they were in on, on Matthew Stafford, the Panthers, and were willing to give up their, their first-round pick, I would have to think they'd have to give up their first-round pick and maybe something else to bring in Carson Wentz. And if they're in on Stafford, why wouldn't they want to be in on Wentz? Younger and more upside 
of course, with Wentz. You know, also, another team that could be in a, look. These teams that we're mentioning too could be in on Donald as well. Why not? Would the Bears want Donald? I'm sure they would. Would the Panthers want Donald? I'm sure they would. It would be an upgrade over what they got now. At this point, as far as the Falcons, look, I think Matt Ryan stays. I don't think Matt Ryan's going anywhere. I think the Falcons do probably draft a quarterback, and I think they probably wind up with Justin Fields because I think who's ever in that two spot there, whether it be the Jets or a team like the Texans that the Jets might make a trade with, I think probably wind up taking Zach Wilson. Uh, Now do the Falcons take Justin Fields, and they keep Matt Ryan around for another year because – after next year, you know, releasing Matt Ryan is not as much. It's not bad as far as their cap is concerned. It's the best time to release him would be after 2022. So, or 2021 season, 2022 year. So I think Matt Ryan stays with the Falcons. I don't think he goes anywhere. I don't think he goes anywhere. He stays there and he probably grooms the next quarterback for them. We mentioned Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. <laughs> That's interesting. I'd have to think he stays, but um, so do I, I, I. But I think they're gauging out. interest. I think they're gauging interest. Absolutely. And I think if they get the right package, they would move on from him. Again, he's 33 years old. He's the type of guy that's been beaten up a little bit, although you never really see him knocked out of games. You don't see he's not an injury-prone quarterback, but he's still 33 years old. You're going to want to pay him 40 plus million a year. That's the problem, Andrew, is the salary cap right now. This salary cap being lowered by $35 million from what the projection was going to be from 215 to 180, that hurts a lot of teams. And to pay one guy almost a quarter of what your salary cap is, that hurts. That hurts. And not only that, they got to pay Jamal Adams. I mean, Jesus, you gave up two first round picks for the guy. You got to pay him. They're going to have to pay Jamal Adams. That team's in need of a rebuild. I I, I was actually, I was going to say that. I was, I was putting all the pieces together in my head and I'm saying, you know, I, I really don't think they're good enough to compete. And you, you, you might want to start from scratch and listen, they had a great deal of success, Seattle culminating in a Super Bowl championship with the Legion of Boom. And it's been downhill since then. And like I said, at this point, yeah, they have some talented pieces on the team, but I don't think they're anywhere near winning a championship. And you saw how how short they fell this season. Uh, they looked great in the first six, seven weeks of the season. Russell Wilson was in the MVP conversation. But then you saw, I mean, they go as far as he does. And unless he, you know, gives you Hall of Fame play every single week and lights up the scoreboard, they're not winning very many games. So... Listen, it might be wise to see, and in a market like this where all these quarterbacks are on the move and there's a precedent for dealing a franchise quarterback, right now might be the best time to gauge interest and maybe do it because there's at least a blueprint for the, you know, the framework of a trade to get a guy like Russell Wilson. You need an entire offensive line. You pretty much need a running game. Carson's always hurt. Listen, the guy could be a tremendous runner, but the guy basically plays you know, a half a season all the time. You can't bank on a guy like that. I mean, listen, he's he's a solid runner, guy strong, but you, you can't have a guy playing eight games a year. You can't. Now, they also have to rebuild their defense. Defense has to be rebuilt too. And not for nothing, you know, if you're not going to protect Russell Wilson or you're going to take the ball out of his hands because as soon as Carson and Hyde came back from injury, Russell Wilson really stopped throwing the ball. 
That's when they were their least effective. Russell Wilson was an MVP the first eight games of the year. Tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. After that, it all went downhill. It all went downhill. So, look, I'll be honest with you. Would it shock me that they trade Russell Wilson? It really wouldn't at this point because all the whispers you're hearing, and after what Russell Wilson said yesterday, look, you know, Boomer Sides who was saying it yesterday, they were interviewing Russell Wilson on Sunday. You know, he was the uh, he got the um, the Man of the Year uh, award, which is a tremendous award to get actually. Um, and they they were asking him about you know all the trade talk and all the rumors, and he said, "Well, that's business." He didn't deny it. Boomer said, he goes, you know, he didn't deny this. So look, I, you know, again, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And I, I think I think if the Seahawks were smart, they would definitely gauge interest. And if they get the right package, you got to look to trade them. You just got to look to trade them. You got to rebuild. That's it. You got to look to rebuild. That Seattle team was that last half of the season – you could see there's a myriad of issues on that team now. It really, yeah. really is. And they Without gave question. up. They also don't have first-round picks in the next two years. Right. They gave up for Jamal Adams. So you're going to have to restock the cupboard, you know, and if it takes trading Russell Wilson, then that's what you're going to do. That's what you're going to have to do. Because there's no sense in keeping him if you're going to surround him with a lackluster team. You're well, not going to exactly. compete. Yeah, you, Russell Wilson's going to be a great fantasy quarterback, and you're going to be in the running for the NFC West, and you'll be in the conversation for a playoff spot. But you're not competing. So I mean, here's here's a team that was also you know they were 12 and four this year the Seahawks. So it's not like they were bums, right? You no, know? 12 but, and four. But team, you could. But- but you could say, I mean, we said that last year about the Green Bay Packers, who were thirteen and three. We never saw them as a, as a legitimate championship contender last season, even with the thirteen and three record. Yeah. There's certain yeah. teams where you know all the stats in the world you can throw in my face, but the eye test will tell you certain things. Yeah. And the eye test told you Seattle was not a championship caliber team. You might have thought so in the first four or five weeks of the season, but you know after the halfway point, you saw it. They weren't. There's a lot of issues. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, listen. You look at their statistics. They were plus eighty eight. And point differential, you know, they had won their last four games of the year as well. So, but again, you've seen what happened in that playoff game against the Rams and they were really exposed. They were really exposed. So, you know, again, you can't let, uh, you know, the record or the statistics mislead you. You really can't. So, but, you know, you move on to the Rams, and obviously they made the trade for Stafford, so they're cemented there. The Cardinals are cemented with Kyler Murray. And then you got the 49ers with Garoppolo, and that's another situation. Like I said, you heard the whispers that Shanahan might want to have brought in uh, Kirk Cousins maybe to run his offense. Garoppolo, not the type of guy to really run the sort of offense that Shanahan wants to run. I, I could see Garoppolo going back to the Patriots if the, if the 49ers bring in somebody. They bring in a veteran quarterback like Cousins, and I'm sure the Vikings wouldn't mind trading Cousins. I mean, you know, but, you know, if the Vikings trade Cousins, then what do they have to work with? But, you know, where's Cousins taking the Vikings anyway? It's not taking them anywhere. I got to tell you, I, I and I don't know if there's any, any steam, and I don't know if they're even interested, but I'd have to think that a guy like Carson Wentz would be a good fit in San Francisco too. And if everything that you read about Carson Wentz is true and that drafting Jalen Hurts really shook his confidence, then – He's not made for a rigid town like Philadelphia. Now, don't get me wrong. The 49ers He's not made do- to be a quarterback then. If, if, if drafting Jalen Hurts 
who really was overdrafted, Andrew. We knew that. We right. knew that. Right. Everybody was shocked. And look, he's not the most accurate quarterback. And to be honest with you, I, you know, everybody's made a big deal of this Jalen Hurts. For what reason? I don't know. He played well his first game, but the game against Dallas and the game against uh, the Washington football team, he wasn't that good. Yeah, Turned well, at this over. point, at this he point, I don't really, accurate. I don't really think that they're keeping Hurts because of the fact that they firmly feel that he's a quarterback of the future. I think there's right. just a, a lot of distrust between Wentz and the front office, and it might be right. beyond repair at this point. And then you right. heard that his, his relationship with Doug Peterson was horrendous, and that couldn't be repaired. But then they ended up firing Doug Peterson, brought a new coach in, and they're still going to trade him. So there's just a lot of dysfunction going on in Philadelphia. But look, a, a city like San Francisco, and I know the 49ers do have a, a very large fan base. They do, a very storied franchise, a popular team. But the city of San Francisco is not as – not as rigid as no. Philadelphia. So no. maybe that's a place where he could succeed with a little less pressure on his shoulders and a pretty good team surrounding him. Yeah. I listen, why not? You know, why not? Why not? But we'll see. I mean, I think, I think there'll be a resolution to this Carson Wentz situation probably in the next couple of days. I'd have to think um, because I think Philadelphia just wants to move on from him. And, you know, the quicker that they, they, they can, you know, solve this issue the better probably for them as a franchise. and Right. Well, there's like a transition said, period going on with a new head coach. So I think they yeah. want to get down to the X's and O's right away with no implementing doubt. new sim- systems. So the quicker that they that they get Wentz out of here and get a return for him, I think the, the, the better it will be for the new regime to kind of get yeah. to work. 100%. 100%. I agree with that. So it'll be, you know, look, the, the, the NFL season is 365 days a year, man. And that's what makes the NFL – the most popular sport of the four major sports. Well, we got two two little pieces of news while while we were on the football, and mm-hmm. I didn't want it. I want to get us off topic because we were we were having a good discussion. Uh, I see on Twitter, um, as you were talking, Michael Mayer. Yeah, I seen that. He he, he writes for the, about the Mets, and the, he has some he has some. Well, he sources. he was uh, he he was one of the first guys to report the Stephen Match trade. Yes, so he had tweeted. Um, couple hours ago, he said, uh, sources are telling me things have picked up recently for the Mets on the trade market. They continue to look at potential upgrades at third base and in the rotation. And Andy Martino, who is a baseball insider for SNY, uh, quote, quote tweeted this tweet from Michael Mayer. And he said, uh, my spidey senses are tingling again. Mike is onto something here. So Look, at this point, the only the only move they'd be looking to make in the trade market is upgrading third base, whether that's Chris Bryant, whether I think it's... they're looking to upgrade a, a, another starting rotation spot because, you know, it's scary to think that they're looking at Jake Arrieta, which I don't know why, but they're also looking at James Paxton. Um, so, I, again, I go back to that trade that I told you about with the Cubs, I think makes the most sense. And again, people are saying, oh, they'd have to give up too much to get Chris Bryant. No, they wouldn't. First of all, Chris Bryant is a free agent at the end of the year. Secondly, the Cubs are looking to dump his salary. They don't want to pay him the $20 million this year, nor yeah. do they want to pay Kyle Hendricks. So, and let me tell you something. Even if the Mets get him, I don't think that the Mets will, will re-sign him. I think it would be a one-year acquisition, so they certainly are not going to mortgage their future for a guy I mean, that look, they don't they, even they have might, to They, they might re-sign. try and re-sign him. Who knows? I mean, look, you know, there's, you know he's got big pockets, and, and look, we can move on to the Mets, I guess, because – you know, look, I mean, obviously the Mets whiffed again on Trevor Bauer. And that's, it's not like they whiffed. They really they really didn't whiff more than anything. You know, Trevor Bauer just wanted to play at home. He wanted to play with the Dodgers. So, look, 
it happens. What are you going to do? I, I, look, the, the Mets made a strong offer. Um, they actually offered him more money in the long run. The Dodgers were willing to pay him more money the first two years. And both teams were willing to give him an opt-out in the first two years. So his preference was to play at home. He's from California, and that's where he wanted to be. So be it. And you know what? It's the best thing to happen to the Mets. The best thing. Absolutely. I'm kind of of thinking, you know, Andrew, we were talking about why the Mets were even, you know, so enamored with Bauer when we thought they had enough pitching there and they could have improved other areas. And, and you're hearing now that, that and Major League Baseball came out and said it, which is rare for them to say it, is that they're no longer going to be using a ball that's going to be juiced. And I'm using air quotes. They're going to, again, air quotes, dead in the ball. So now you're not going to see guys taking check swings and hitting a ball 425 feet anymore right now. You know, you, you might not even see 40 homer hitters. You might just see your sluggers be your sluggers. And you're not going to be seeing the uh, Randall Gritchicks of the world hitting 30 homers anymore. You know, so uh, to me, music to my ears. I love that. Go back to traditional baseball. Enough of, enough of these guys breaking bats and hitting the ball, you know, 380, 380 feet, you know, over the fence. So you kind of think maybe the Mets were getting wind of that. And that's the reason why they wanted to really just, just uh, um, strengthen their pitching that much more. Because of that, you wonder. But again, going back to the trade, you know, you heard the Sonny Gray Suarez trade. That'll cost. That'll cost the Mets a lot more in prospects. I don't think they'll look to do that. Although that is a deal that could benefit the Mets because both guys are controllable players, and neither one makes a lot of money right now. You know, they're both they're both at good salaries. So, you know, that would benefit the Mets. That wouldn't be a bad trade. You know, you slot Sonny Gray in as a fourth starter. There's nothing wrong with that. And I don't care what happened with him with the Yankees. You know, he was expected to be an ace with the Yankees. And, you know, obviously he flopped, but he was very good on the road with the Yankees. He just pitched poorly at home. But as a fourth starter where, you know, you're not asking him to be an ace, I think Sonny Gray would be just fine. And obviously Eugenio Suarez is a good third baseman. He's not a great feeling third baseman. He's better than what they got. And he's a very, very good hitter. So we'll see. I, I happen to think it's either the Cubs or the Reds in this trade that this Michael May is talking about. Yeah, I think that's the only – I really think that that would be the only only area they'd be looking to upgrade via trade. I, I think they're certainly scanning the free agent market for a starting pitcher. I could see them maybe taking a flyer on a guy like James Paxton. I wouldn't be too keen on it, but I would prefer James Paxton over Jake Arrieta because Jake Arrieta is a pitcher on the decline. At least James Paxton, if he's able to stay healthy, which is a humongous if, has a little bit of upside. And, and I would I would think that you could probably get Paxton on a one-year deal, whereas Arietta might be seeking a, a two-year deal and you'd be tied to him for an extra year. So, uh, you know, at this point, it doesn't look like the, these teams are willing to go a lot further than one year for these starting pitchers. And that's why a lot of them are still on the market. Um, apparently Jago to Rizzi from reports you're hearing, apparently he's been seeking a four-year deal and the Mets wow, are not willing to go that way at all. And that's why they've been out yeah. on him. So, these guys, these guys are, are a little unreasonable right now. I mean, I understand you're seeking this like Jackie Bradley seeking four years, but it's not there. I mean, pitchers and catchers it's are reporting it, are reporting yeah. in nine days at this yeah. point, you got to bring your asking price down and no one's going to sign you. It's simple. I mean, look, I'm going to tell you right now, Odorisi and Jackie Bradley Jr. will, will probably get one-year deals. That's what's going to happen. And I'm still hoping the Mets sign him because the Mets, 
you know, they 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 did they did sign uh, Almora, who really is has no stick. He's strictly, you know, a defensive center fielder, strictly a guy that I don't even know if you could put him in a platoon role at this point. You know, he was supposed to have a better bat than what he's shown, but last couple of years, I mean, you know, he's he's a 280 on base guy. He's a 230 batting average. He's a above average center fielder, but he really, really has no stick whatsoever. So I'm still hoping the Mets are looking to improve somewhere at center field over there um, because Albert Amor is not the answer. And I certainly don't want to see a platoon with him and Nimmo, you know, uh, platooning in center field. That would be ridiculous. So, well, that's um, what it's going to come. That's what it's going to come down to. They're not getting another center fielder. Yeah. I can I can guarantee that. That's that's the move that they were going to make because with Dom Smith well, playing left field, Bradley I mean, Junior takes a one year deal. I mean, that's the only other way. Well, you weren't. Unless you he takes weren't, a one year deal. You weren't getting a center fielder to put Nimmo on the bench. You were getting a center fielder to move Nimmo back to his natural position as a corner outfielder. And if the designated hitter is not going to be a thing in the National League, and Dom Smith is your left fielder then Nimmo has to have a spot on the roster because they like Nimmo. He's a good player. He's nothing special, but he's a good player. He gets on base a lot. So, you know, that's a piece that you kind of want in your lineup a little more on, on a more consistent basis. So, you know, yeah, that's you why I think Don, they went the Don route Smith of Almora. A, yeah, you, you, you'd have to play Don Smith over Nimmo on left field anyway. I mean, his bat is just – you can't leave Don Smith's bat on the bench. You really can't. You can't. And maybe look – hey, look, maybe they look the deal. Maybe they, they, they trade Nimmo. Maybe one of these deals that they're talking about now. Maybe Nimmo's part of the deal. Who knows? I mean, I got to tell you, I, Smith in left field. I wouldn't. I would not be opposed to Almora being the everyday center fielder. I, I really wouldn't. And I mean, look at what they're paying him too. They, they're paying I mean, him a million and a half dollars. So you know, it's not like look, you know, again. What, what it goes back seeking. to Jackie. It goes back to Jackie Bradley Jr. He'll be hitting eighth in our lineup. So it's not like we're going to need his bat. His bat will be that important. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I think you could, you could bat Almora eight and it's fine. As long as it gives you the defense that you're expecting in center field, much like Jackie Bradley Jr. And I told you if he's batting eighth or batting ninth, if they have a DH, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So, you know, well, this is a guy too. You got to remember. Albert Amora, he did have a couple of, of good offensive seasons in the big leagues. He's yeah, he a, did. He was Somehow drafted sixth overall. He yeah, was drafted he sixth overall when he first came into the league. So he's put together good offensive seasons. There is certainly a little bit of upside there. Again, he hit 167 last year in 30 games. You know, you can't really take too much stock. There's a bunch of superstars that stunk. There's a bunch of guys who stink who had great years. So you could put as, as much stock as you want in the 2020 season. I'm certainly not going to. Uh, another sign the Mets made too is bringing in Jonathan VR, which look, I thought it was a good move. Jonathan like VR it. is, is exactly what they were hoping Jed Lowry would be a couple years ago. A utility guy on a cheap contract, one year, three and a half million dollars. He could play third base. He could play short. He could play second. He could play a little bit of outfield. He could slide around whenever someone needs rest or you want to give someone a rest due to, a, you know, a more favorable pitching matchup um, to have VR's left-handed bat in the lineup. You could certainly do it. You can make it happen. So and you know what, Andrew, more move. than anything, Something that you can't teach that he has speed, and Zabinajad just got stoned. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, what a save by two! Poor, poor Zabinajad, he can't get a break. No, he that has some no save by Rask with the glove. With oh my God, what a save! But that's unreal. yeah, you can't teach speed, and, and Villar gives him that, and they don't have a lot of speed on his team. Yeah, VR so, stole sixty-two bases yeah. in twenty sixteen. Yeah, 
Stolen yeah, 40 mean, look, bases three times in his career. You get a super utility guy like that that can play all around the infield and the outfield. That's you know, that's valuable to have. It it saves you a roster spot pretty much. We got that could swing around like that. So I mean, I, we'll see what happens with this trade. Uh, look, I, I've been telling you this, the Mets have another trade in them. You know, I, and look, you, you know, you're hearing all this stuff too after the Bauer thing. Oh, the Mets, they tried to pay, you know, Ramuto re- rejected them. First of all, Ramuto never rejected them. They never made him an offer. They were never they went interested. After, they went after McCann right away. They knew what they wanted. They knew uh, Real Muto, it, it would take about a month or two before he'd come to a decision because he did say he wanted to stay in Philadelphia. They moved on from him, so he ne- they never got rejected. The Springer thing, look, they offered him what they offered him. They didn't want to go extra. That's fine. So he didn't reject them. That's it. It's not like the Mets aren't making offers. It's not like the Mets aren't um, – ah, they just scored a short end of goal. I tell you what, you know? uh, listen – People will say a, a, a breakaway. You can't blame the goalie. I, every time there's a breakaway, it's an automatic goal with yep. both goalies on this team. They yep. never make a save. They never, no, they never make like, a big save. They're not like Lundqvist. No. They're not like Lundqvist. And Panarin makes a terrible, terrible play. Terrible play. Put the puck right on his stick. Right on his stick. Terrible play. You know, he's got to track that better, Georgiev, too. I'm sorry. He's got yeah, to that's, track that's, that's a soft goal. Yeah, he's got to track that better. That's terrible. Right, on, goal. right underneath the glove. He terrible just didn't goal. even yeah, read it. That's a terrible goal. Yeah, that's horrendous. That's a bad goal. As much as it was a breakaway, it was a bad, bad one. But you know, so and nothing really going on much in Yankee land. I mean, yeah, what's the only thing to say? They haven't signed Brett Gardner and they haven't even made him an offer. They probably will, though. Maybe come training camp. Maybe they will. But I tell you the truth, there's no roster spot for him. And Boston almost scores a second short and a goal. But there's no roster spot for, for Gardner. There's none. Well, was, it. there's, yeah. really, there's really no roster spot. You knew, and Brass just makes another very, very good save. Um, there, there is. They weren't going to bring him back on that contract at ten million dollars. I, I thought for sure they might be interested at a lower rate, but there hasn't really been much steam at all. But like you said, I mean, at some point, I mean, we have to take the reins off Clint Frazier and let the kid play. Got to let him play. I mean, what are you going to do? You, look, Brett Gardner is 37 years old. He's been with the Yankees 15 years. God bless him. But, you know, at some point you got to let him play. But I'll be honest with you, he's probably the – well, Hicks will be playing center field. But, you know, God is one of the better defenders out there in the outfield. And obviously Frazier's had his problems out there, although he did improve defensively a little bit over the last year. But, you know, the kid's got a bat. you got to see what he could do playing in a full season. Uh, look, again, I'm sure they'd like to bring Gardner back. But again, dude, they have the roster spot to bring him back. Right. Yeah, even if he says, all right, I'll take a $3 million deal. Okay, where, where are you going to put him on the roster? You know, that's the problem. Their roster is pretty much filled up. So, Yeah, and I don't, you know, I'm not even sure if they have any. I, I know that they got rid of a couple guys off the 40-man um, in a Tyone trade. Um, and then they released Adam Ottavino, but then they signed yeah, Darren even, O'Day. It's, it's so just, it's just I don't where they're going to play him. What are they going to do with him? You know? Well, there's that. And then there's the fact that I don't even, you know, who on the 40 men? Because, you know, you got to remember there's certain guys that you can't just send down. They don't have options. You can't remove them from the 40 man roster unless they go on waivers. And with all these teams taking, you know, just dumping players due to salary because of the pandemic. I doubt that any of these fringe players that are going to be placed on waivers are going to go unclaimed. I'm sure every team is going to try to find a bargain on the cheap and claim these guys. So it all depends on whether or not the Yankees want to part ways with these guys to make room for a guy like Gardner on the 40 man roster. It's a lot of interesting questions that go into this offseason because it's one that quite frankly, we've never seen before. So 
that's just the way it goes down in a in a in a COVID world in baseball. I know. Well, I figure you know what? Next week maybe we'll do a little bit of you know we got pitches and catches now starting next week. <clears throat> teams will be replays will be reporting for teams. Uh, the Mets and I think the Yankees are in six days and Mets are a week from today. Um, so I think maybe we'll do a little uh, baseball preview. Probably be in order. And um, we'll do that. And I guess we can move on. I got another Go tweet here from Mike Puma. Um, the uh, Mets beat reporter for the New York Post. Uh, one tweet that you're going to be extremely happy about. To make room for Albert Almora Jr. on the 40-man roster, the Mets have DFA'd Corey Oswalt. Oh, thank God. Uh, and then another tweet that he tweeted 43 minutes ago, he said, it's still very possible that the Mets will upgrade third base. Uh, one hurdle they've faced in talking to the Cubs about Chris Bryant and the Reds about Eugenio Suarez is both teams are pushing for top catching prospect Francisco Alvarez. Yeah, Mets are Mets not giving him not up giving under him up. any circumstances. Him up. So no trade happen. for either player so far. Not, not gonna, first of all, you're not going to get him when you're getting, you know, I, I could understand the Reds asking for him because you're getting – I think two or three years of, of, of control with Suarez, but with Bryant, he's a free agent. So you're not getting that. You could ask for it. Yeah. But you're not getting it. And from all accounts, this kid is a and, tremendous, tremendous. And player, I uh, think bat. that's, I think that is a humongous reason why the Mets were not even never interested in JT Real Muto. They wanted to give a catcher a three yes. or four year deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, because Alvarez is the catcher of the future, and he's a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. Yeah. Every scouting report you read, they speak glowingly about this kid. He was an international signing. The Mets gave him a, a record-setting international contract, I think, for a catcher. Uh, he's only 19 years old, or 18 years old he might be. So he's got a lot of room to grow. So, and everyone assumes that he's going to be the catcher of the future. So I don't think the Mets would be giving him up just for the sake of giving him up for any of those guys. I don't, I don't think they warrant giving a guy like that. up. I tell you, you move on to basketball and the Knicks made a trade, which I thought, you know, at first I was, I was a little bewildered. I'm like, why would they want Derek Rose? But it makes sense. And, you know, they gave up a second round pick and Dennis Smith jr. Who basically wasn't even playing for the, for the Knicks. He was stapled to the, uh, to the bench. Wasn't any part of a rotation. I think he only played in three games this year. They were actually, he actually requested to be sent down to the G league so he can, he can get some playing time in. So the, the Knicks gave up Dennis Smith Jr. in a second-round pick. And a second-round pick in the NBA, really, it amounts to nothing, Andrew. You know, it really does. So, you know, for, for Derek Rose, who gives him, you know, gives him a veteran leader there at the point guard spot to work with Emmanuel quickly. Um, and, look, as good as Alfred Payton's been playing, his value is very high right now. And he could probably be traded. And you could probably recoup that second-round pick, maybe even a late first-round pick, and be trade Payton to a contender. So you could turn that into something. And I, I think they'll probably wind up trading Peyton. And although Peyton has played well for them, probably a good time to probably just deal him. I think Peyton is only on a one-year deal anyway. So probably a good time to trade him to a contender. Maybe, like I said, you recoup a first-round pick. And that second-round pick you lost doesn't mean anything anyway. So um, they'll have quickly and Rosa at the point guard. Look, Derek Rose is a good player, man. He's still a good player. He's a good player, Derek Rose. And again, he'll be a good mentor to Emmanuel quickly. So, um, you know, Knicks have been playing hard. They lost the heartbreaker last night to, to, to Miami. I was watching some of that game. 98-96, R.J. Barrett missed a layup at the buzzer. You know, it was good that the kid wanted to take the shot. He took the ball to the hoop, went a little too strong. Jimmy Butler had some good defense on him. And, uh, you know, he missed the layup, actually bounced off the rim and out. 
But, uh, you know, Knicks lost back-to-back games to the Heat. But the Knicks are right in the, in the thick of things, and they're playing hard. And most of all, they're playing terrific defense, the Knicks. And that's Thibodeau's, uh, you know, that that's his M.O., defense, defense, and more defense. So, you know, Knicks are playing well. And unlike the Nets, <laughs> I tell you, the Nets are 7-11 and against teams under 500, Andrew. And whether or not it's just, you know, I understand Durant didn't play last night. But, man, you start that game off and you're down 20 to the Pistons? You're down 20 to the Pistons? Really? I mean, you still had Harden and Irving. But I tell you, Andrew, it's showing that the Nets have – they can't play defense. I think they are poorly, poorly coached. Poorly oh, Steve coached. Nash has no idea what he's doing. Oh, my God. They are Doesn't so poorly coached. They really are poorly coached. I think this guy is just I, – I, I, as, as – Great as a player Steve Nash was, an MVP, I tell you what, he, he's a terrible, terrible coach. He really is. He's not looking good right now. He really isn't. And, I, and, and they got no, they got no, they got no depth in Nets. There's no depth. Zero depth. If I'm the Nets, I almost look to put Kyrie Irving on the second team. I look to put him on the second team and split, split up the big three. But the problem is the, you know, you got Durant now sitting out with COVID protocols once again. You know, so uh, look, the Nets are going to make the playoffs. There's no doubt, and what they do in the playoffs is going to dictate how great that trade was with Harden, or it could be the biggest bust trade, you know, in the NBA since since the Nets made that trade with the Celtics. You know, so but they better start learning how to play some defense. The Nets, they better better start learning. Listen, because, giving up giving up 125 points to the Detroit Pistons is just unacceptable. Oh, that's an abomination. No, it it's just can't happen. It cannot happen. No, it can't happen. That can't happen. So, uh, I guess we move on to the Rangers and the Islanders. And Devils haven't played at all with the COVID situation. Devils have 19 guys on the COVID list. 19. That's crazy. And Savannah Jad can't catch a break. You got to be kidding me. Uh, you're you're a little ahead of me. And here we come oh, on okay. a breakaway now. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep my mouth Oh, my God. Now. Block it. Says, what is it, Ben Jad? I tell you, he might just bring out an assault rifle at the end of the uh, to start the third period. <laughs> this poor I mean, guy. What does this guy got to do to buy a goal? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Really crazy. is. Crazy. And you know Unreal. what? This this was happening with Lafreniere at the beginning of the season. And you just knew that he was going to have a really big goal, and he did. He had an overtime winner against the Sabers. I'm waiting for that big goal from Zabanajad because it's one of the one of his shots are going to fall sooner or later. They're going. I to. mean, now it's just frustration for Zabanajad. Those saves that Rask just made on him, the first one with the glove, and just now this one on the breakaway with a blocker. Uh, get ready Tremendous for what you're saves. about to see. Get ready for what you're about to see. Oh God, here we go. Shitbag Strom. Of course, passing up another shot. He sucks. <laughs> so I, I, I can't. That's, he just comes out of the penalty box, too. And I don't know if you've seen it earlier in the game. He comes in. He's alone. He's got a shot. And he decides he thinks he's fucking Houdini. And he puts the <laughs> puck between his legs like he wants to make a pass between his legs like he thinks he's Sidney Crosby or Wayne Gretzky. Well, here's the bottom line, Strom. You suck. <laughs> I can't put this. I, I got to say this every freaking podca- uh, podcast. It's getting nauseating already. It's enough of this guy. Please. I, I, oh, God, please. Dear Lord, 
Well, I didn't realize, too, that was Julian Gauthier's first career NHL goal. Yeah, first career NHL goal. Yeah. So congrats to Gauthier. Yeah. Listen, he plays a style of hockey that I like. He does. He's very north-south. He's a big he's body. He's north-south. He's a strong kid. But, you know, he's got to get his motor going a little bit more. But, you know, Quinn's also got to give him a chance. And we've said it a million times with Quinn Andrew. I can't stress this enough. You, you're developing these players. you got to play them, man. We've said it before. You can't have fourth-line players – like Rooney and Di Giuseppe and Blackwell playing 16, 17 minutes a game and Lafreniere playing 11. I mean, the other night against the Islanders, he played him the last 10 minutes. He played him for not even 46 seconds. Come on. You cannot do that. And I feel this way. This guy is not an NHL coach. He's probably a terrific college coach. It's proven that he's a a very, very good college coach. This guy's not an NHL NHL coach. He's just not. I'm sorry. He's well, not. I'll, I'll tell you He's one not. thing. I'll tell you. I want to see minutes. I don't care how many. I don't care how many mistakes these kids are making. I want to see them make mistakes, and I want to see them learn from the mistakes. And I want to look. Your team's four, five, and two right now. You're four, five, and two. Your sentiment, with the exception of Zabinajad, who's really just on a bad streak, pretty much suck. They suck. So you better hope your forwards. You have talent at the forward position. Use it. Utilize it. You can't be playing Lafreniere with Brett Howden. It's a joke because Brett Howden stinks too. I'll tell you this. I think that you and I belong in the Broadcasting Hall of Fame because just for anyone who's, who's going to be listening tomorrow, the fact that we've been able to stay on topic and we've been able to cover a multitude of topics with how fast-paced and action-packed this game is is <laughs> – I mean, this is incredible. This is crazy. I've never seen anything like this before. Oh, my God. This What is this called again? Oh, wait, what the hell? I forget what the hell they call that. What? Not micromanaging. Um, oh, I, I can't think of the word. I'm trying to think of it. I can't think of it right Multi, now. Multitasking? Multitasking. That's it. See? Multitasking. We're multitasking. Yeah, this is called multitasking. And that's, that's, put, that's putting it lightly. I mean, this is... It looks like a three-on-three overtime has been going on the whole entire second period. Yeah. I mean, it's just fast-paced, odd-man rushes on both sides of the ice, back and forth, incredible saves from Georgiev, who's been playing great, incredible yeah, saves from Tuka Rask. Yeah. Yeah. This is absurd. It's absurd. But listen, we've covered this before. I, there's nothing to be said that hasn't already been said about David Quinn. It's just – it's the same thing over and over and over again. And when you have the whole entire fan base – like in lockstep on the same thing it raises eyebrows and listen i know you can't operate your franchise based solely on what the fans think right because we're fans but if every single fan is in lockstep and is seeing the same thing you would be under the assumption that the front office is seeing the same thing as well and they can't be happy with what's going on i'd have to think i'm on a lot of ranger boards and some of these guys in fact some of these guys are really Somehow, some way they're affiliated in hockey. I could tell because of of some of the uh some of the messages that they do post. And I know a couple of guys for sure are because everybody looks for them for rumors and you know certain uh inside information on the ranges and stuff, and they have it and they're on the money with everything, on the money with everything. So and, and even these guys are writing that Quinn is overmatching in, in in the NHL. He's overmatched, and you can see it, he's overmatched. I understand you want to play a gritty type of game. I get it. But first of all, Lafreniere is an edgy type of player. He's an edgy type of player. 
And when you when, when you're lacking scoring and your centers pretty much suck after Zibit and Jad, you, you got to hope that the forwards can drive the play somehow. And sitting Lafreniere on the bench like this guy does so we can play Kevin Rooney and Philip DiGiuseppe 16, 17 minutes a game, who guys that, believe me, I don't mind them, but like I mentioned to you before the prior to this podcast started, Andrew, look at Barry Trotz. He plays that fourth line. He's probably the best fourth line in the NHL. Sezikis, uh, Clutterbuck, and Martin. And they're, they're talented for what they need to do as a fourth line. But they play 11 minutes a game. That's it. 11 minutes a game. We got Capo, Caco, and Lafreniere playing 10, 11 minutes a game. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. You're supposed to be developing these young players, which means you need to play them. They need ice time. They have to have ice time. And I know we spoke before the podcast started about the comments that Quinn made when he was talking to the media uh, yesterday about how, yes, he understands that there's a lot of young guys and they need more exposure and they need to get ice time, but you also have to reward some of the veteran guys who are showing you know, an impeccable work ethic and are getting the job done. Listen, we understand there's nothing wrong with having guys like Di Giuseppe and Colin Blackwell and Brendan Lemieux on their team that possess grit, but they play when they're supposed to play. There's no reason why you have guys like Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell and Brendan Lemieux on the ice when you're trailing by a goal with a minute and a half left in the game. It just doesn't make any sense. You brought up the point before. The Islanders, one of the best fourth lines in hockey with Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Sezikis. And guess what? When the Rangers and Islanders faced off the other night, that line was responsible for producing both of the Islanders' goals. They didn't produce both of those goals because Trotz was giving them 20-plus minutes of ice time. No, they just made the most of the ice time that they were getting, and they played their roles. And that's what's being that's what needs to be asked of a fourth line. You don't continue to reward them with, with high-stress inducing minutes at the end of hockey games. It's nauseating. It doesn't make any sense. How do you expect any improvement from this team if you don't let these young kids develop? Guess what? Guys like Di Giuseppe like his game. He's another North-South player. Very fast. Not afraid to get into it for a battle of the puck in the corner to keep sustained pressure in the offensive zone. Guy like Lemieux. That's the kind of guy who will punch anybody in the mouth. You like that type of toughness on your team, right? Kevin Rooney. I've loved everything I've seen from Kevin Rooney so far. Nothing wrong with having those guys on your team. But guess what? They're not part of the Rangers' future. They're not no. part of the big picture. So they're not going to be here. They're so not going to be here next year. Caco and, and Lafreniere, they're going to be here for the next 10 years, God willing. You know, God willing, they they they, they progress to the point where they, they are going to be here. But how the hell do we know what they're at when these kids can't even play? When they can't get ice time? I'm watching other guys' number one picks, that kid Tim, Tim Stutzel on Ottawa. He's got five goals already. He's playing on the first power play. He's playing on the first line. Ottawa's not that much worse than what we are. We're four, five, and, and two. Before, one. before the I mean, Devils had their COVID shutdown, Jack Hughes was having a tremendous start to the season because yeah, he's playing a lot. play him. Play yeah. him. you got to play these guys. My God, let them learn from their mistakes. If you think they have a low hockey IQ, then you would have never drafted them. Let me but ask you let something. Let them learn from their mistakes. I got a serious question for you. How do you think the Pittsburgh Penguins realize what they had in a guy like Jake Gensel? Because they put him on a line with Crosby and Malkin, and they gave him 20 minutes of ice time per night. 
and now he's solidified himself as a first-line right. forward. They give him a chance to succeed. This guy's got Lafreniere playing with Brett Howden. How the freak does that make sense? How does that make sense? It does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. Get and Lafreniere the, the funny, playing on one of the, the top two lines. But the funniest part about the whole thing is that he'll pair him on a line with a guy like Brett Howden. But when it's all said and done, Brett Howden will have more ice time. He mixes yeah. up lines to get Brett Howden oh, he, in the game. He more. loves it. Listen, that Brett Howden, he looks like he tries hard, but he stinks too. He does nothing. <laughs> he's got zero offensive game. I mean, he's got no offensive game. Z- zero offensive you know, game. You know who Brett Howden reminds skate. me of? He reminds me of he reminds me of a poor man's Jimmy VC. Jimmy VC had no offensive game either. That's what he reminds me of. But at least Jimmy Vesey can skate. This guy can't even skate. How did I, 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 he can't? He can't win a faceoff. He can't skate. I, I, this guy's so enamored with Brett Howden. I still don't get it. I don't get it. And again, he's another guy. The entire fan base on everything that I read on every board and blog, they all say the same thing. And listen, we're we're all watching the same game here. When when ninety nine point nine percent of the fan base is agreeing that a guy can't play the game and he stinks. I'm going to go with the 99.9% of the fan base. We're not just saying it for the sake of saying it. I tell you what, you know, this is two years of Brett Howden already. They have to hope the Rangers have to Morgan Barron a chance. They have to hope that this defensive prospect Lundquist that they have in the system, they better hope that he pans out because if he doesn't, you look at the totality of that Ryan McDonough and JT Miller trade to the Lightning. They got oh, yeah. back Brett Howden, who stinks, yeah. Libor Hayek, who stinks, yeah. Vladislav Nemesnikov, who was on the team for a year. and Who I actually like. I like I like this player. game, too, but they He's traded him away. And He's the only other player. asset they got was the draft pick. And yeah. Lundqvist was the was the player that they selected with that draft pick, who, yeah. well, who projects to be very good. But looks look, like a bust McDonough, on that trade. The McDonough trade was a salary dump more than anything. You know, that was a salary dump. Just get rid of the contract. They were never going to get high-end prospects. You know, they really, really weren't. They weren't. So, I mean, it is what it is. So, all right. So, look, uh, next week we'll break down the baseball. We'll go to a little preview. We'll do Mets, Yankees. We'll start previewing the season. We'll go through the divisions. Uh, You know, we'll start looking at things with rosters and – you know, maybe we'll get a couple of more deals along the way, you know, before uh, maybe by next Wednesday, we'll have another deal on horizon with the Mets. You know, there's rumors out there that, uh, you know, maybe close to a trade, you know, there's no names or anything like that. There's only just, you know, speculation right now who it could be, but Hey, maybe it could be somebody out of the blue who the hell knows, but I know, look, they are not going into this season with JD Davis as their third baseman. They're just not, there's no way they're not. You could see the Mets are intent now, on solving their defensive uh, woes that they've had over the last few years. And the last spot that they need to solve is third base. You can't have J.D. Davis at third base. As good as a bad that he was, you know, you, well, see, you that's, can't have that, that's the thing that kind of caught my attention is because we've been spending a lot of time talking about how much the Mets have improved their defense in the offseason with signing a guy like James McCann to catch, who's a great defensive catcher getting a guy like Francisco Lindor, who's a gold glove caliber shortstop. But then I'm watching MLB Network last night, and they and they show the uh, potential defensive alignment for the Mets in 2021. And when you see J.D. Davis at third base, you see Dom Smith in left field, you see Brandon Nimmo in center field. It doesn't really look like oh, the no defense good. has improved that much. It really no, doesn't. No those are, those are glaring holes. Right. I still think they got a couple of more moves, and I still think they're going to bring in another center fielder. I really, really do. 
Well, my prediction was correct. After they missed out on Bauer, I said, I have a feeling there's going to be a flurry of moves after Bauer signed with the Dodgers. And we've yeah, well, seen they two made, so they made far. Some depth, those were good depth signings. Because instead of having the Ty Kellys and Eric Campbells of the world like we used to have, you know, and we still got Luis Guillaume on this. Uh, and I read something the other day where they said, well, maybe the Mets are going to give Guillaume a shot at third base. I was like, for the love of God, why would somebody even put that in print? <laughs> Listen, he had a good season. I think he's a lot better than you give him credit for. He's, he's not an okay. everyday player you know by any stretch. He, you're right. He did have a good season. He, he was pretty good. But he, if he's got to be my starting third baseman in a 162-game season, no thank you. You want to bring him off the bench? That's fine. Plays a little third, a little short, a little second. He's a solid glove. He looked like he was able to hit a little bit. So, you know what? I'll, well, here's I'll be the thing. okay he's, with you, man. He's fine. not – I know you made your jokes about him early on in the podcast, but he is not on the same level of guys like Ty Kelly and Eric Campbell. No, He's a notch no. above them. He's a big league. No. He could play in the big leagues. Maybe not every no. day, but he could play in the big leagues. And you oh, look at the wait. Mets bench right now. Got some breaking news here. Uh-oh. Oh, Ryan Strom still sucks. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you got my hopes up. I wasn't looking at my phone. I thought you might have had an actual piece of breaking news. That is breaking news. They had to break it again. <laughs> it's so abundantly obvious that he stinks. They had to let everybody know again. They had to let everybody know again, just in case. You know, we didn't. We, I, I didn't say it for about seven minutes. Just had to remind everybody that he still sucks. I see someone on Twitter said, "How? Since when did the Rick Nash curse become cast on Mika Zibanejad? Wow, Ain't that unreal. the truth? I mean, you know, Jesus. listen, this guy. This guy's gonna have a game where he's gonna get three, four goals." Bang, bang, bang. Maybe even and five. It, it, We've seen him have a, a five-goal game before. It'll give him a chance to breathe. Because yeah. right now, you can't even say he's pressing because he's getting opportunities. No, he's playing He's playing the same kind of hockey he always plays. Yeah. He's just he's not getting the breaks. I mean, this is a guy who scored 40 goals last year. Yeah. And he's got one. Yeah. What does he have, two points through the first 12 games? I mean, talk, people would say, well, he had the COVID. He still he hasn't played training. Well, listen, he, he's played enough time right now. He's in condition. He's getting terrific opportunities you know, he just has no luck right now. There was they call it puck luck. He's got no puck luck. That's it. So, you know, I'm sure one will go for him. I'm sure one will get in for him. But the, the NHL has to – they're going to have to reschedule a lot of games here. I mean, well, they've the, got over 33 games to reschedule. The Rangers game on Sunday against the Flyers that has been got canceled. Postponed. Yeah. Yep. Flyers had a couple of positive tests. And, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, this is it's going to be some wacky schedule, man, because, I mean, you might be seeing double-headers. And wait, speaking of doubleheaders, I just got to say this again, back to the baseball, this whole thing with the seven inning doubleheaders. Okay. I'm not so much, you know, I, I don't like it, but this thing with starting a guy on second base and these extra inning games that they've gone to again is a joke. And because of COVID protocols, Oh, it'll maybe get people out of the, out of the, the stadium faster. Come on. Do you think that really matters? People are in the stadium for three and a half hours. I, I mean, this is what you got to hear. You know, somebody brought up a great point yesterday. I think it was Evan Roberts had said it, and it was great. Think about this, Andrew. Think about this scenario. Guy finishes the ninth inning with a perfect game. Okay? Comes out for the tenth inning. Man on second now has to start. Ground ball to second base. Guy advances the third. Next guy, sacrifice fly. Game over. <laughs> game over. You threw a perfect game. Yeah. And get a loss. <laughs> yeah. Think about that scenario. 
Oh, God. Think about that. That was a great point he made, Roberts. I was like, wow. Well, the better, the better the better scenario would probably be if that happened during a seven-inning doubleheader. He comes out for the eighth inning. There's a yeah, runner on second right. base. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, a really? joke what they do. You know, it's, it's, a it's funny, too, because I think Rob Manfred had said once before, I don't know if it was recently, or, but he did say to somebody that they're bringing back two elements, referring to the seven-inning doubleheaders and the runner on second base, bringing back two elements that were wildly popular amongst our fan base. I'd love to know what fans he surveyed on that because I, everybody I hates heard it. Anybody, I haven't heard anybody that liked it. The seven-inning doubleheader is a joke. It really is. It's a joke. That's not baseball. That's softball. Those are softball games. That's what we used to do in travel ball. I mean, uh, come on. <laughs> when I was 16, 17 yeah, travel years old. Ball. And the California rule with the runner on second base. Yeah. You don't do this in the major leagues. Why are you cheapening the game? And put listen, you want to put a guy at second starting with the 12th inning? Okay. Okay. I, I could see that pass a little bit. Maybe. I wouldn't be crazy. Well, about that's, it, but... that's, that's what I said. I said, going, going straight to having a runner on second base is like going from the third period in hockey straight to a shootout. Right. At least, at least have a little bit of, of fair competition. A little, at bit, first. A little bit of play. Have uh, a little yeah, bit of play. Right. Right. You go to the, you know, like in overtime, you get five minutes if no score and then they go to the shootout. Oh, why don't right? you do the Kings in it? Why don't you just do the old King in his court? Like they used to do with the softball pitcher. You used to just be the pitcher and have three fielders. That's what they used to call King in a court. That's what you used to do? I didn't do it. This guy, this guy's name was Eddie something. I forget the guy's name. But they used to call it the king in his court. And this guy was a ridiculously dominant softball pitcher where nobody could hit him. And he should just be him and three fielders. That's it. Him and three fielders against a full lineup and the other team having their nine or ten fielders. He only had three guys playing the field for him. King in his court. Why don't you just do that in baseball then? Just do that. Well, we could have a home run derby in the 10th inning, maybe. It's a joke. They cheapened the game by doing that. I hate it. Hate it. Don't like it. I mean, I'm glad they're deading the ball a little bit or bringing the old ball back or whatever, however way you want to put it. But I'm glad they're doing that. But the fact that you're going seven inning doubleheaders and starting that runner at second base is disgusting. Well, listen. Especially after a team makes a tremendous comeback in a ninth inning, you know, they're down five runs. You know, they come back, they, they they tie the game. Now you're going to extra innings, you start with a guy in second base. Come on, man. Come on. Stop. Well, I, I understood the seven-inning doubleheaders a little bit more last season because of the fact that it was a, it was a shortened and more condensed season. I, I so get if, it. There were, if there were cancellations I agree. and you had to I make agree. them up, right? But this year, over 162, you have enough off days where agree, you right. could make up games. You don't need to condense them and make them seven-inning doubleheaders in order right. to get the games in on time. You have yeah, a full season to be able to do it. I agree. And if anything, then just expand the rosters. You know, if you have some COVID situations, expand the rosters. Just expand them then. Expand them. That's all. Expand the rosters then. That's it. I mean, look. Look, here's the pro- The problem is, first of all, with baseball, look, by the time baseball starts, by the time we get into the summertime, I would have to think that the COVID numbers are going to be dramatically down. I mean, they were down last year during the summer. You know, they really were. Now with the vaccine coming, um, you'll probably see the numbers really, really come down. So I don't think you'll have the situation like the NHL is having right now. You know, like maybe the NFL even had to a certain point. I don't think you will. 
So I, I don't understand why they're going to these measures right now. And look, the, the good thing is that it's starting February 23rd. We're going to be able to have some fans in the arenas and the stadiums. Yep. 10% capacity. Terrific. At least we'll get some people in there. Opening day for the Mets. You could have 4,000, 5,000 people in there. That's That'll be terrific. Maybe by April, by the time it starts, maybe they'll they'll up the percentage of how many people you could have, which is terrific because I'd rather see 2,000 people in the stadium than nobody than just watching cardboard cutouts. You know, so that's a good thing that was announced today. Thank God. It, it just, you know, it, it just as, as a society, as sports fans, believe me, it gives us a nice glimmer of hope. So it especially, you know, you begin into basketball arenas, hockey arenas. They're talking, having to take the uh, PC, was it the PCR test? Yeah. Three days in advance to show you negative. I mean, I, listen, is that an issue for some people? I'm sure maybe it might be, but. Look, here's the bottom line. <laughs> you know, if you really want to go to a game, you know, this is what you got to do. So, and I'm sure people will be showing up. As many as they can get in there, I'm sure people will be showing up to want to go to a game. So, you know, that'll be good. That'll be good. So, all right, so we'll wrap it up. Yep, we'll be back next week. We'll cover everything. Uh, we'll go more in-depth into the baseball, like Rob said, give a full season preview. We'll break down the Mets and the Yankees and, and their roster makeup, things like that. We'll have another week's worth of games for the Rangers. We'll see if they turn things around. We got basketball to talk about and anything else that breaks along the way. Maybe we'll get another trade before next week. That seems to be the trend. We get one trade a week so that we can, we can discuss it on Wednesday nights when we record the podcast. So as always, you could follow me on Instagram, A underscore May 21. You could follow me on Twitter at Andrew May underscore 21. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob OG6. That's where we post the links to the podcast on my Twitter account, on my Instagram story. Um, was happy with all the feedback we got last week. You know, a lot of people who listened to our, uh, our talk with JJ, they were really impressed with, with, uh, with the whole episode. They thought JJ was a blast, but she was. Um, so yeah, stay I got on the, the lookout. Same. I got the same sentiment from people. They love yeah, it. Yeah. Everybody said, you love know, it would be nice. I tell you the truth. It'd be nice. We'll reach out to him again, maybe the next two, three weeks and get him on for a, you know, a baseball show with him. Cause you know, he's a big Yankee fan and he knows his baseball, obviously. Yep. So we'll get him on for uh, maybe a little baseball preview show. Maybe we'll do a little rapid fire edition with uh, with JJ himself. And maybe we'll do a little predictions amongst the three of us and make a dinner bet out of it. There we'll we go. See if he's up for that. So listen, you know, you know, he likes to wager. I know. I know. <laughs> and I'm, listen, he seemed like he enjoyed the show. He stayed on for an hour and 15 minutes. And, you know, we only asked him for a half hour. So. You know, he was good to do, and I'm sure he'll jump back on again in the next, in the next couple of weeks. And like I said, we'll ask him to do a baseball preview show with that, and it'll be a blast again. Absolutely. All right, so stay on the lookout for any information regarding the podcast. Like I said, on Instagram, on Twitter, you can follow Rob on Twitter too, at RobOG6. And we'll be back next week to uh, business as usual. Anything that happens between now and then, we will break it all down. And we got our MLB season preview as pitchers and catchers will be reporting. So a lot of things to be excited about. We're getting closer and closer to normalcy as far as sports are concerned, which is always good uh, for the sanity of the podcast. Cause you remember we had that long stretch during COVID. We didn't record for a while. We were trying to figure out logistics to do electronically. And then once we did start doing it electronically, the stories were just limited. It seems like we're back, we're back to normal from that perspective. So it's always good. So thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, follow us on social media. Hit us up if you got any questions, concerns, compliments, anything. We're all ears. Thank you again. For Roger Frey, I'm yeah, Andrew May. And here's, here's another tweet that just got put out now. Uh-oh. 
Ryan Strom still sucks. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. It's getting around. Holy moly. <laughs> For Rob Dufresne and Ryan Strom, I'm Andrew May. <laughs> we will see you guys next time. Ha, ha, ha.